Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church Martinsville. We are delighted that you have joined us this morning and welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you join me in reading responsively our call to worship? We have gathered to rejoice in our oneness in Jesus Christ. Each of us experiences faith and life in a unique way. Yet we have one God, one faith, and one baptism, and one spirit who unites us all. Let us lift our hearts as one in songs of praise, in prayer, and in listening for God's word. Even when we leave this place, let us be joined in common concern for humanity, like that shown by Jesus Christ. prayer. O oh God, you receive us when we turn to you. 
you heal us through the power of forgiveness. Through your spirit, enable us to show our gratitude by forgiving others. Deliver us from secret jealousy and desire for revenge, so that we may live in peace with you and with all. Amen. Let us pray. You have brought us again to new life, O God, and gathered us in this community to be your people as we work and witness in this world. Feed us today with your good news and breathe into us your spirit that we may be enabled in all that we say and do to glorify your name. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning is found in the 14th chapter of Romans, beginning with the first verse. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And those who eat, eat in the honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 18th chapter of Matthew's gospel beginning with the 21st verse. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. 
and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. A long time ago, I heard a definition of forgiveness I've never forgotten. I don't remember who told me or when, but the definition was this. At its root, to forgive is to give future to a relationship, to give a relationship a chance to change, to grow, to be alive, whether that relationship is between persons or neighborhoods or schools or countries. Well, we get a nice illustration of that, I think, in today's gospel lesson. The king forgives a debtor 10,000 talents, which is an inconceivably large sum, which can never be repaid, even though the servant pretends that it can be repaid with time. And the king restores the man who had been condemned, along with his family, to being sold into slavery in order to pay, in part, the enormous debt that he owed. The debtor is given his freedom back, he is given the opportunity to be with his family, to live in his home, to work in his chosen profession, when just moments before he had been destined to be cut off from all of those things. The king enables him to have a future, a second chance as a free person with his act of forgiving the man's debt. This forgiveness is a marvelous, incomparable gift. One would hope that having received that kind of forgiveness having been restored to his relationships, having been given a second chance, that the debtor would have experienced transformation and would now be able to extend that kind of mercy and forgiveness to others. But no. When he runs into a fellow who owes him a pittance, amount that is easily repaid with time, the debtor condemns him, thereby severing the fellow servant from his family his home, his profession, past and future. Well, the end of the story is really ugly. The unmerciful servant is himself condemned again, and permanently this time. His colleagues, appalled at the way he has treated a peer, reports him to the king. He who would not give future to a relationship is kept from having future relationships himself because the king sentences him to torture and imprisonment for the rest of his life. Well, we may be thinking, this debtor guy had it coming. What a jerk. For someone who had been forgiven of so much to condemn someone who owed him so little. But then the gospel lesson ends with the words, so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well, yikes. We are no longer spectators in the grandstands. The story isn't about someone else. It may, in fact, be about me. I have chewed on this parable for years, and I have thought at times that I understood it. But as the gospel is wont to do sometimes, this parable has now begun to chew on me. If I will look hard enough and honestly enough at my own self, I can see myself as that unmerciful servant. I don't find that giving or accepting forgiveness is all that easy. I can think of a number of times when I have been wronged. In fact, I remember those times very clearly, even times from childhood. I have a harder time remembering when I've forgiven other people for some reason. I wonder why unforgiveness gets more gigabytes of my memory, why I find it so much easier to hang on to recollections of, of being hurt or wronged. But I have some theories about that. For one thing, holding on to those hurts protects me. Not only is it how I punish the one who has hurt me, it is how I keep that person from getting close enough to my heart to hurt me again. Of course, in the process, it is impossible not to close my heart like a fist. But through all that bitterness, we never see what it is we couldn't receive in open-handed confidence from that relationship and from God in that relationship as well. It's common enough to allow holding on to our grievances to make us bitter, but at least we're right. We'll always have that. It's amazing, really, how holding grudges turns toxic so quickly, turning into bitterness, resentment, rage, things that simply corrode us, body and soul. Another theory is that holding on to those hurts gives us a cause. Most of us feel more powerful when we are angry than when we are forgiving. One of my colleagues taught a class during Lent one time called The Conversion of Wrath. And she said that when people in class talked about what made them get angry, they got really animated. But when the conversation turned toward forgiveness, you could almost see the light in people's eyes go out. The energy level in the room went way down because forgiveness doesn't pack as big a punch as anger does. When you're angry, you've got an identity and a cause. When you forgive, you can end up feeling kind of empty, like you just gave the, the match away to your opponent before life declared a winner. That anger, that kind of anger, is something most of us can spot more easily in other people than we do in our own selves because we tend to think of our own anger as justified. It is not hard to see someone else's anger as a desire for revenge. Our own anger, on the other hand, tends to register with us as a quest for justice. Tricky stuff, the games that we play with ourselves. One time, at a district clergy meeting, we broke into small groups for a 30-minute exercise, and. During the course of the discussion, one of the members of the group talks about, talked about Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step groups. And he said, if you ever want to see deep spirituality, go to an AA meeting because 
These people have got it right. These are people who have to get it right or they die. So I went home and I looked up the 12 steps on the internet and I was astonished to find out that four, steps four through 10 involve forgiveness. Making a searching and fearless moral inventory of oneself, confessing those things to God and to someone else, asking God to remove them, making a list of everyone one has harmed and making amends where possible, and committing to continue making such inventories and promptly admitting, admitting wrongs. Now, nowhere did it say that one should sit down and write out a list of whomever had done wrong to oneself and when and where and what you could do about it. Steps four through 10 really involved at looking at one's own interior life and one's own actions. There's no place to nurse your wounds. You have to lay down your arms, you have to trade in your power and your pride on the off chance that you might discover something more valuable than either of them, which of course you do. When I think about the other side of the coin, I see myself even more clearly. Like the unmerciful servant, it is hard for me to accept forgiveness, to really receive it. Undoubtedly, the person who has forgiven me the most so far in my life is my mother. I would like to tell you what a nice, sweet kid I was growing up. And truthfully, I stayed out of trouble. I excelled at school and, and extracurricular activities. I never smoked, I never drank, I never did drugs. I was mischievous. I know, you're surprised, but I led a fairly wholesome life. My biggest regrets in my life, though, are about things that I said to my mother when I was a teenager. My father, my father was a submarine officer, so he was often gone for months at a time. So it was my mother with whom I fought my battles. As a child, when I didn't get what I wanted, I would try to hurl hurtful words at my parents, but it never worked, because most of the time they thought it was funny. And when they didn't, they found other ways to foil my obnoxious efforts. I'm adopted, and so I can remember one time when I didn't get my way, I yelled, oh yeah? Well, I'm going to go find my real parents, even though, truthfully, I had no desire to do that. And my parents said, well, if that's important to you, then that's important to us, and we would like to help you. Well, rats, that just ruined the whole thing, took all the fun out of it. But by the time I became a teenager, I'd become much more adept at using words to wound. Constant bickering, petty criticisms designed to hurt, taking pleasure in shocking or shaming my mother, I did all of that. And all the while, she forgave and accepted and loved me amidst her hurt and her confusion and her disappointment. I would ignore it all or I would pretend to. I acted often as if I didn't want or need her forgiveness, that I could handle things on my own, thank you very much, and I didn't want or need her help at all. And I was completely unaware of how my own resentment and anger had deformed me and warped my spirit, a bit like an unmerciful servant I know. My mother was undeterred and forgave and forgave and forgave so that when finally, by God's grace, I began to recognize 
and to accept and to be grateful for her forgiveness of me, it hadn't diminished a bit. In fact, I would say it was probably when I was in seminary that my mother and I became really good friends. And I can remember apologizing for things that I had said and she honestly didn't remember the things that I was asking forgiveness for. Her unflagging forgiveness made it possible for our relationship to live, to have a future, to change, to flourish, and to grow. So all that really was needed was my willingness to accept her forgiveness and to receive it gladly and gratefully. I'm grateful for those years from college through my 20s and 30s until I lost my mother in an accident. I'm so grateful to have had the chance to tell her that I love her and to know that it meant so much as, as she forgave me and loved me into a more full and joyful place in my own heart. It seems like a miracle to me now that a relationship can have that kind of life to it, that kind of surprise and future, if only forgiveness comes to play and, and is given and received. The end of today's gospel lesson isn't telling us what God is going to do to us if we don't straighten up and forgive each other from our hearts. It may be what we're going to do to ourselves if we are not careful. Whatever it is in us that prevents us from forgiving other people, even people who really deserve richly to be punished, is the same thing that prevents us from receiving God's forgiveness for ourselves. As long as we hold on to the idea that there are, that, that there are unforgivable people in the world, we have to allow the possibility that, that we may be one of them. To put it another way, those of us who cannot forgive other people usually turn that same harshness on ourselves. Takes one to know one, I guess, is the heart of it. Maybe that's why the prayer we are asked to say daily has us pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because we need to remind ourselves of both sides of the coin at least once a day. Perhaps that is why worship often involves confession. We who believe in God's forgiveness, we who no longer need to hide our fears or our mistakes from each other, who no longer need to live in prideful isolation as if we didn't need each other, know ourselves to be forgiven people, forgiven again and again and again. Christ is not like the king who forgives once and then condemns. At last count among us, Christ had forgiven seven million times, 70 trillion times at least, and it happens not only when we gather to pray together, it happens even when we remember those hurts from long ago, and it happens as we learn to say goodbye before it is too late with words like, I forgive you and I love you. Thanks be to God. Amen.
join me in affirming your faith as together we say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. now may you go forth in peace to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and reside with you always. Amen. <laughs>